Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So today I'm going to do something that I know I haven't done in a long time, and that is give a kind of book review, more so uh, my thoughts, really. It's not, I don't want to call it a book review because it's not going to be super in-depth, but just sort of my fresh thoughts after reading the book Transcendent Kingdom by Ya Giyasi. And of course, I may be saying her name incorrectly. Um, but this is the first time that I've read a book of hers. It's also the first time I've read fiction from cover to cover in a long time. I actually was trying to read Catcher in a Rye a few months ago, and I just have not gotten through it yet. Inshallah, I will really try to do a better job once I'm back um, home and visiting my parents um, at the time of this recording. But I picked up this book, Transcendent Kingdom, in the airport. And I picked up four books, and I was just feeling like, you know what, I'm in the mood for fiction <laughs> because I read so much nonfiction. For the sake of research and because I write a lot of nonfiction myself. So I'm usually reading nonfiction, whether it's nonfiction books or articles or research. So I just don't read a lot of fiction. And to be honest, I can't say that I was ever into fiction. Um, I really got into reading in general at an older age. When I was young, I didn't read anything except what was assigned to me. And I did really enjoy some of the books that were assigned, but still, I did not read outside of the classroom. So maybe it was in college, maybe it was after college that I started to get into books. But still, I, I was more so in the nonfiction section, like stuff related to psychology, um, that sort of thing. But... I really just felt like, you know, I just want to read some fiction books and I just want to read books for enjoyment. You know, I've been thinking about um, just the idea of like when we get older, when we are adults, then we don't play anymore, right? Like play is something for children. And there, you know, and there are other things that we just don't do anymore because we're adults and we have quote unquote better things to do. But when I think about leisure <laughs> as an adult, right, as an adult or as adults, we can end up making our leisure just so limited, right? At least our day-to-day -day leisure, right? Like maybe once a year or every couple of years, you may take a vacation or something like that. But our day-to-day -day leisure, when we get an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever, um, or even just a few minutes here and there, to relax, our go-to is usually a screen, scrolling through social media, watching TV, um, perhaps reading an article online, reading headlines, uh, but usually something behind a screen, right? So we, we become very limited and it's a funny thing because it's not necessarily that we don't have time to play like we did as children, like no, we don't have, um, honestly, if you went to public school, you kind of, you kind of have the same amount of time, right? 
um, in elementary school, then they give, uh, what is that, recess, but usually by, by an older age, they get rid of recess. So you actually don't have that much time to play. You only have uh, whatever time when you get out of school and you're in school for eight hours. But I guess you still have the summers to sort of have a lot of leisure. Uh, but anyway, sort of my point is that we don't, we, we just have, we end up very limited when it comes to what we do for leisure. And it can be really boring, right? Like, I think sometimes I just have to, like, literally tell myself, okay, what are things, like, I just need a list. I need to remind myself, what are the things that I can do for leisure? And I think that they're one of the reasons we go to social media and we go to the television, etc., is, you know, one, we just get used to it, and two, it's very easy, right? It's very accessible to just turn on a YouTube video. It takes so little effort from us to sit there, you know, in a vegetable-like state and just watch something. Um, but, you know, with a little more effort, especially when it comes to fiction, we can also read a book. And so, yeah, I've just been thinking about that, like, we might not necessarily <laughs> go back to playing, right? But even that, honestly, I just think leisure should be more varied. And as adults, we shouldn't feel like, well, with the two, three, four, however many hours you have in a day, once you get back home from work, you shouldn't feel like, um, well, I guess I'll just turn on the TV or I guess I'll just scroll. Like, there's still a variety of things to do. And books are one of those things. And I think the funny thing is, you know, we encourage people to read books. We still think book reading is is pretty important. But I think in one way, we've almost made it too serious, right? A very few people read for leisure. I forget the stats, but it's like one book a year, or so, if even that much. Like people read very few books in America, like on average, people read very few books once they get out of school. People just stop reading. And I think that's partly because we don't encourage reading enough for leisure. And I don't even want to make the case, honestly, that, oh, reading is better than scrolling through Instagram. I'm not even going to make that case when it comes to leisure. I think that it's a different experience, you know, Sometimes it's like we can do so much on our phone, but we have to question, do I want to, right? Like I can do this and this and this and this on my phone, but do I want to? If I could do, um, just to throw out a random number, if I could do 50% of the activities that I need to do in a day on my phone, um, does that mean I should? Does that mean I would want to? Because even though the acti the activities may seem varied, it still is requiring you to sit and stare at a screen. And so even, you know, like, oh, you can take your notes on the computer and you can read on the computer or on your phone. I mean, both. You can read on your phone. You can take notes on your phone. You can take classes on your phone, et cetera, et cetera. You can go to events on your phone and on and on. But do you want to? Like, because all of those experiences, even though they're different, they're still the same. They still require you to sit in front of a screen. And I just feel like as human beings, 
it just adds to life when we do different types of things. And so it felt really good to sit through this book. I finished reading it in about a week. And I didn't do that on purpose um, in terms of reading it in that short amount of time, but more so just I used those pockets of time of leisure to read. And I, and I thoroughly enjoyed this book as well, so it was easy to do. And it just it felt so good to escape into that world. You know, I because I was I wasn't really a reader for a large portion of my life, I can never fully understand people who would say you know, such and such a movie, like this, the book was so much better than the movie. I can never fully appreciate that because I was always the, you know, I just never was much of a reader, right? So I didn't read like Star Trek. I mean, I wasn't into those movies either, but, you know, still like just to give an example, I didn't read like a Star Trek book and then see the movie and like, oh man, you know, no, I just saw the movies and people were like, oh, the book is better. Like, I just can never appreciate that sentiment. But when I read fiction nowadays, I like in reading this book, it's like, subhanAllah, you really couldn't capture much of this through film. Um, a very good director could do some justice but it would be hard to do complete justice because so much of so much of writing like if you were to take this story and say I'm gonna boil it down to just the dialogue it might be 20 pages you know like it might literally be 20 pages the most of the book is not that like it, it's a fair amount of dialogue but most of the book is not dialogue and when you have a movie like they often add a lot of dialogue because it's harder to capture things um again i think unless it's you know really really good um, creators behind the movie in silence and actors as well it, it's harder to capture it and i think it doesn't have as much mass appeal right because i kind of love those movies with a lot of silence where actors really are able to portray the emotions in the silence but I can also understand why a lot of people may not love it or it just doesn't have a lot of mass appeal um, when when there isn't enough dialogue, right? Because it, it becomes one of those things where you have to get it, right? And so, yeah, of course, it's not going to have the same um, mass appeal. But in a book, you can describe so much. You can describe people's feelings. You can describe the scenery. And then the beautiful thing about a book is that then we all get to have our own images. And the, the, uh, another interesting thing about fiction that it, it's just so fascinating to me, like when I'm reading fiction, I don't imagine every detail of the scene. The, the funny thing is too, I also don't imagine like even the details of how a character looks. I don't really fully imagine that. Like I have... They're just sort of random deal. I don't, I don't even know how to quite describe it, but it's almost like seeing a shadowy image, and some images come to life more than others. And so then I can also understand why when people see a movie and you know the character looks a certain way and it's like, wait, that's not how it looked in the book. And the book may not have given like a huge detailed description. I, I'm sure some do. Um, but it would, you know, 
it'd be very hard to just fully describe anyone to the T, right? It, there was always going to be some room for, um, not imagination, but what would you say? Room to fill in some spaces. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's an interesting experience and I would really encourage, encourage anyone if you are not much of a fiction reader to get into fiction just for leisure. Like, Don't feel like, oh, I have to read because it's good for me. Like, yeah, reading is, is good for you. Um, but I also just think like, it's nice to do something else besides just scrolling. Um, and also to do something that's not serious, right? Like, to only read, you know, Islamic books and nonfiction books, like that, that's kind of tough. I think adding some fiction in there is valuable. So yeah, I guess that's my thoughts on fiction in general and like, um, just the experience of reading fiction. I also thought about, I've heard people say, or some, maybe this has been researched, I'm not sure, but I've, I've heard it said that fiction allows you to be more empathetic. I, I don't know if that's true. I can understand like for experiences that you're not familiar with that that would be possible, right? Because if you have no availability to that experience, but then you get to hear an author describe it and you get to sort of be with that person through this book and be in that world, I can understand that. But again, I think it's okay to just read for leisure. I would really encourage it um, because where we are in in society, it's really like, I don't remember the numbers, but we spend a lot of time on phones, on TVs, on laptops. And I just feel like we were meant to be more varied beings as human beings. So let's get to the book. The book is... If I was to boil it down, which I kind of hate to do, right? Um, I, let me start by saying I thoroughly enjoy this book. I thoroughly enjoy this book. So I would highly recommend it. As far as sort of haram content, there wasn't too much. Like it's written by a non-Muslim. It's about non-Muslims. So of course, it's you know, usually it's probably going to be some haram content but it wasn't it wasn't a lot it was you know sparsed in there um let's see if there's anything else i can say on that and i want to talk more about religion in a bit but i want to give you more of an overview of what the book was about so the book let's say okay in one sense you could say The book is about a woman grieving about her brother who is, um, subhanAllah, should I? Okay, this is going to be, what do they call that when you give away too much of a story? Spoiler. Okay. I may have spoilers. I'm going to try not to overdo it. Um, there may be spoilers. So if you would rather be surprised, which I know I sometimes like to be when I'm about to read a book, then you can stop here. (laughs) And I hope you enjoy the first half of the podcast. If you don't mind, then here we go. And I'll try not to um, go into too much detail, though I will say like, 
if you read the description of the book, like just on the back of the book, it basically gives the story. Like the story is not one with a ton of surprises. It's not a story with a ton of like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. It's not leave you on the edge of your seat kind of story. It's a story that goes into a lot of internal conflict and thoughts and feelings around the things that happened. So the basic thing that um, perhaps you can say the biggest happening in the story is that the woman is dealing with having lost her brother at a younger age and having lost him through an uh, oxycodone addiction. And that's like straight from the back of the book. Um, an oxy oxycodone, I think that's what it's called, but it's basically like a painkiller medication that he gets addicted to and um, overdoses and passes away. So, so she is dealing with the grief of that. She's dealing with her faith. So she is at the point of the story. Then she is a research scientist that she's not an atheist, but she's not really a faithful person anymore but she really was when she was growing up. So she's kind of dealing with that. Um, in another sense, you can say it's a story about a firstborn American who is coming of age in America and this entire family, how do they adapt to American society? That's another way to look at this book, at least a bulk of it. Um, she's also dealing with, I'll say they, they have to deal with as a family, right? What the son has gone through and the different ways in which they deal with that. And then the book does a very interesting job of kind of showing, it's not quite a success story, but at least more so a somewhat more successful and somewhat more unsuccessful story of um, immig- well, not of immigration, they successfully immigrate, but I guess of how things can, subhanAllah, actually, now that, I, now that I say that, because they kind of show it through the mother and father of the failure or success of the sacrifice of leaving one's home for this dream, for the American dream. So it plays out differently for the mother and father. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna do my best not to give the whole story away. So I'm going to try to be as vague as possible while still talking about um, the book and, and what I really enjoyed. So it shows that different, it shows up differently for the mother and the father. And then it also shows up differently for the son and the daughter. Obviously, we know the daughter becomes a research scientist and the brother is um, not successful. He has this um, addiction that he eventually overdoses from. So I think that's fascinating too. And especially someone who is a first generation American, is a child of immigrants. I really find uh, there was a lot with the story when it came to that aspect of it, that I really related to, alhamdulillah, my parents, they were pretty successful, I would say, as immigrants. But they also made a lot of sacrifice and their parents made a lot of sacrifices. 
And their parents, my mom's parents, my dad, my dad's parents, made different types of sacrifices. And their sacrifices that, interestingly enough, it's like in just one generation, I can't even relate to you. Like, and this was a very common thing that for a lot of Caribbean immigrants, they would, they do one of two things. I mean, they, I'm sure they were different things, but what I know of, they would either just straight send their child to America. So they might send their child to live with an aunt or cousins or an uncle or whoever to live in America so they can have a better life than what they can offer them in the Caribbean. And at least that's how they felt. And another was that the parents and the whole family would pick up and move to America. But of course, that meant the sacrifice of leaving your culture, of leaving your extended family. Um, So there's just so much sacrifice (laughs) that immigrants make to try to have a more successful life. And, you know, subhanAllah, people have been doing this since the beginning of time. Can we be more successful over there? But it, it is just so fascinating because it's not something that I can, like, there's a part of me that can't fully wrap my mind around it. That either parent, oh, also another thing that parents would leave their children in the Caribbean, either go to America, go to Europe to work for a few years, living with their kids with grandparents to work, um, yeah, to work for a few years in Europe, in America, until they could find their grounding and then bring their kids or send for their kids as they, as they would say. Like, and that's mind boggling to me, the idea that um, you would make that kind of sacrifice of being a part or of leaving your culture for um, a better life. And, you know, subhanAllah, in some ways, I've even seen it happen in my generation. Uh, it's a little different because people don't really pack up and leave permanently. People know they have to come back. But I know quite a few people who have gone to, like, the Emirates, Qatar, those sort of places for, ironically, a better life than what American can offer. The difference is it's known that it's not permanent, Absolutely. right, eventually, you're going to have to go back home. So it's not exactly the same, but I guess there is some similarity still of just wanting a better life for yourself. But I think the story did a very good and interesting job of showing that, subhanAllah, like just the cost and, and benefit of being out of place, right? Or... Or do you feel out of place? So the the cost and benefit of sacrifice. Sometimes you just feel out of place and you never find your grounding and you never find home. Sometimes you find your stride and you are able to be more successful in a new place than in a new environment that you could back home. But I just think, like, there's no guarantee. (laughs) And so the book, it's interesting because that is by far not the main point of the story at all. But I think it's also worth exploring and and worth considering. And, and perhaps because I am of that, of a similar background with being um, a child of immigrants, that part of the story really resonated with me as well. 
dealing with someone who has a drug abuse, and then I've never been in that situation, but I just can't imagine, right? I can't imagine the heartache of dealing with that cycle. They're like, subhanAllah, I won't, you know, <laughs> for the sake of not giving way too much of the story, um, but there are parts where it's like, it's heartbreaking because you have hope. And then is it going to work out? Is this going to be the time that he finally is clean? And then you think of how much other people around the person give up of their lives because they have to babysit. They have to be watchdogs. They have to be constantly worried about this person with an addiction. And then there's also a story about how do you deal with trauma, right? There's some trauma that happens in the story. How do you deal with that? The brother and sister deal with it very differently. And how do you get to deal with it when people have such extreme uh, reactions to it, I'll say? Or, you know, let's say someone, something happens in a family um, let's, you know, let's just say something happens in a family and, or let's say, you know, someone has a death in the family and one person in the family reacts really badly. They, they become deeply depressed. If you are the other person in the family and you see that person become deeply depressed, are you going to even allow yourself to become deeply depressed too? Or are you going to feel like you have to now step up and be the one to take care of everything? And a lot of families, it plays out that way. Someone dies and it's not everyone that steps up and say, okay, here are the papers. Here's what they wanted us to do. Here's what we have to do. Here are the things that have, you know, just that sort of really super, I wouldn't even say just technical stuff, but like the stuff that has to get done. Like you're, of course, you're going to grieve when you lose a loved one. But then there are also things that have to get, I mean, even subhanAllah, like may Allah aid all of us in being able to deal with difficulties. Even something like your loved one passes and you have to think about, okay, we have to take care of the body. Where are we burying the body? Who's going to clean the body? Those are oh, like, subhanAllah, even just saying that, like those are difficult decisions and but somebody has to make it like not everyone can even afford to just go into a deep depression and so if someone goes into that state how do other people deal with it do they pick up the slack do they have to be forced into being the strong one and then sort of that that perhaps facade to some degree that you take on of being the strong one what do you do with that? Is that not how you move through life? You know, let's say if it happens at a younger age, is that who you feel you always have to be to other people? Then there's always a question of who takes care of you, who aids you, who's there for you. And so that's a really good question as well. And it, it's somewhat of a mystery. How do we deal with, oh, I just want to, I shouldn't use the word trauma before tragedy happens in the family. How do you deal with tragedy? People deal with it different ways. And it is, of course, not 100% logical. It's probably mostly not logical, right? Um, so that that's a thing, too. Like, some people fall apart. And some people are able to weather the storm. And what is the difference between the two? 
sometimes it's not so obvious and sometimes you would never know which one you'll be and perhaps sometimes you'll be one in one case and another in another case so this the story explores that as well um and then finally i want to get to religion this book ties in faith so beautifully now the woman in the story as i said she struggles with her faith i will not tell you where she ends up in the end you know you can read it for yourself if you are interested um but what it does a really beautiful job of doing for one it's not anti-faith which is very nice you know these days subhanallah it's like if someone mentions religion, usually, usually it's negative these days. Um, so it wasn't, it definitely was not negative. At least not all the time. Again, she struggles with her faith. Um, she is, she's Christian. But one thing it does beautifully that I, that was completely unexpected is tie in biblical verses. I didn't expect that. And I thought the way she did that was so beautiful and you know (laughs) just as a muslim it was really refreshing to see obviously i don't read the bible i don't believe the bible you know i'm not going to go into that right i'm I'm not christian so it's not my book Uh, perhaps we'll talk about the bible in another podcast episode but i think that that was so beautiful that it's not just a struggle with faith and talking about faith in sort of a theoretical thing, but also utilizing the words themselves, the words of the book themselves, contemplating on it, considering it. I thought it was, it was just so refreshing, right? It was so refreshing, subhanAllah. Another book that I read, um, just because it, it sort of made me think about that, well, I listened to on Audible. I'm not going to remember his name, but he's that famous Christian author, recent but not super recent. Um, white American, I believe. Ah, Subhanallah. I'm going to try to find it while I'm talking. But he also, it's also a book about struggling with faith and dealing with tragedy as well. And the way he deals with it is also very beautiful. And I think. That is just really valuable. Like living in this society, you you would almost feel like most of society is atheist or agnostic because in mainstream media, that is a lot of what you get. And even if when conservatives talk about religion on like a Fox News sort of thing, it's usually very superficial and they often trying to beat people over the head with it. But, you know, they're, they're like using it to prove a point. But very rarely do we hear just personal testimonies of faith, but like weaved into everyday life, weaved into thinking about life, weaved into like this, this woman, another thing that I love about the book, this woman is a scientist, right? But she's not willing to just dismiss the idea of God and religion. And, you know, I'll let you explore for yourself if you read the book, how she does that and how she thinks about it. And I think that's important, right? Because the reality is that a lot of us as believers, we do have our struggles. But one thing that religion does and is, well, one thing that it does and and should do for us if we um, 
what is available to do for us if we turn to it is to allow us to find comfort and meaning in difficult times, also in mundane times, also in interesting times, also in boring times. Like every aspect of our life, we should be able to find faith applicable. And it is if we allow it to be. But in our society, we have a kind of superficial split between secular society and religion. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. So I I just think she weaved in um, the biblical verses and just discussing her own faith and how she's dealing with that um, in a really beautiful way. I don't know much about the author. I don't know if she is Christian, but for her to actually take biblical verses, it would surprise me if she was not because it it just feels like someone who takes their religion seriously. Um, so in terms of any downsides about the book, like I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I really, really did. So I would recommend it again. There are, there is some haram in there because it's a non-Muslim, you know, non-Muslim author about non-Muslims. So there is some haram in there. Um, but there really isn't, there isn't much haram in there that is glorified. Like, of course, of yeah, of kind of of course, then um, haram relationships that you know not an issue for non-Muslims. Even a lot of Christians, they they don't take it as an issue, so it's not made as an issue in this book. But in a general sense, not in general sense. I think other than that, I don't really recall the haram being glorified too much um or or very often and this is someone who is like at least at a certain point was very serious about her faith so there is a lot of there's a huge portion of her life in which she's faithful and she judges through the eyes of faith and then you know things change and she um she's struggling with that so I personally wouldn't say there are any huge downsides to the book. You know, I don't know what every what anyone's tastes are, but I really enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And again, I would just say, you know, whether you read this book or not, I would really suggest picking up a book of fiction. One of my teachers has said that it's good to turn to fiction that's older because then you'll find less haram. Um, and I'm kind of only thinking about that in this moment. So if you're someone like you really want to avoid the haram at all costs, then yeah, I think that, you know, it's good advice. Um, I would say though, if you're unfortunately like most of us, if you're a scroller down Instagram where you watch YouTube, I can guarantee there's more haram there than in, uh, who knows, but at least you don't have the visual right in a book. And, um, yeah, so that's what I wanted to say about the book. I wanted to share that with you all. And I, I just feel good <laughs> about reading some fiction, um, subhanAllah, and actually reading it cover to cover and just really enjoying it. Like for me, it can take me a month to read through a book. Like it, it just really depends. But sometimes I love a book so much and I'm so excited about it. And so looking forward to reading it every day. I can read it in a week. I can read it read it in a couple days. It's just a matter of the book itself. 
Um, and I am usually reading nonfiction, so I'm like taking notes and all that stuff. And to read fiction, and I told I made myself not take any notes because I'm such like a note taker. Even if it's fiction, I'll still take notes. But I told myself not to take any notes. Just enjoy the book, just like you would enjoy scrolling down Instagram. Just enjoy the book. So, um. Yeah, I would I would suggest to you guys go out there and enjoy a fiction book. Inshallah. Ta'ala. Um Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. So I hope you'll enjoy this podcast. Let me know if you read the book, if you thought it was good, if you didn't think it was good, let me know too. That'd be interesting to hear. And I will see you in the next one. Take care.